Thank you so much to my Patreon supporters who have supported me while I've been on this hiatus. Melina Leonard, Grimbot, Johanna, Rick Winter, and Aaron Hansen. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you like the show, and now that I'm settled, I will post more regularly. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the show. Brazil had a presidential election last month. Former president and socialist candidate Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva beat out essentially the incarnation of what Donald Trump would be if he was born in Brazil, committed a lot of war crimes, and drank from the demon skull of Guldan, Jair Bolsonaro. The election was a heated one, with Bolsonaro discrediting the democratic system, saying that the electronic voting systems in Brazil was vulnerable. Bolsonaro, who has become notorious for his anti-democratic statements, caused fears to arise that he might do something drastic, such as refusing to accept the results of the election. Brazil spent 21 years under a brutal military dictatorship that only ended in 1985. Bolsonaro was a captain in the army during that time and has spoken highly of the dictatorship years. The Brazilian military dictatorship was anti-communist and supported by conservative elements of Brazilian society, including the Catholic Church, and it was supported by the USA during the hottest times of the Cold War. Despite initial pledges to the contrary, the military regime enacted in 1967 a new restrictive constitution and stifled freedom of speech and political opposition. The regime adopted nationalism, economic development, and anti-communism as its guidelines. Torture and murder of political dissidents was widespread, and it led to one of the darkest times in Brazilian history, a history littered with dark times. Shortly after it collapsed, the former military captain Bolsonaro stated about the dictatorship, quote, the only mistake of the dictatorship was torturing and not killing, end quote. Bolsonaro also hinted that should the election be stolen from him, he might use military forces to take back what was rightfully his. Bolsonaro's adversary and the new presidential-elect, Lula da Silva, was born into poverty. He worked his way up from the bottom during the later stages of the political dictatorship. He worked as a low-level trade unionist. This political obscurity might have saved him from the torturous military dictatorship. Lula eventually reached the top of Brazilian society, the presidency, and left office in 2014 with an unprecedented approval rating of 83% and was once called the most popular politician in the world. Operation Lavo Jato, or Operation Car Wash, would see Lula indicted in the largest corruption scandal in Brazilian history. This was also vital to Bolsonaro's rise to power. Brazil is the economic and political powerhouse of South America, the most influential and largest country on the continent. When Brazil sneezes, South America catches a cold. Brazil is also one of the world's major players, the fifth largest country and seventh most populous country. With a vast array of multiculturalism from virtually all over the world, it is one of the most ethnically diverse places on the planet. Brazil is classified as an emerging power. It has the world's 12th largest GDP, and ninth by purchasing power parity measures. A breadbasket for the world, it has been the largest producer of coffee for the last 150 years, and it produces a large percentage of the world's oxygen supply, thanks to the Amazon rainforest which it hosts. Due to deforestation and global warming, 
The Amazon is under threat. Besides its beautiful multiculturalism in the rainforest, there is yet another thing Brazil is famous for. Corruption, crime and social inequality, rivaling that of South Africa. In Brazil, the richest 1%, about 2 million people, have the same percentage of wealth as the poorest 50%, about 80 million. This inequality results in poverty levels that are inconsistent with an economy the size of Brazil. Levels of income inequality like this, among many other things, have caused Brazil to be at one point the country with the highest number of intentional homicides in the world, with 57,358 in 2018. It's not just gang violence, international trafficking of drugs and arms, that has caused this spike in violence. Police in Brazil are notorious for extrajudicial killings. Brazil is second only behind Rodrigo Duterte's Philippines, and far above the United States, in number of police killings. All of these factors, military dictatorship, extreme income inequality, and Latino gangster Donald Trump, stem from a past of slavery and genocide, a post-colonial society. Brazil today struggles to deal with the evils and injustices its former subjects faced. Portugal, or Spain's Canada, as it's better known, was once a superpower. A superpower that held a massive colonial empire, stretching the seven seas. At one time, the sun never set on the Portuguese empire, which maintained factories, or trade posts, from Japan in the Far East to Brazil in South America. Brazil was the crown jewel of the Portuguese empire. Even at one point, Portugal's royal family embraced an ideology known as Pluricontinentalism. They resettled in Brazil and ruled from there, a rare occurrence where the colony becomes the colonial overlord over its mother country. Modern Brazil has had a long, tumultuous, and interesting history, dating back to its discovery half a millennium ago, in the age of exploration. A Cold War-like situation had erupted on the Iberian Peninsula in the late 1400s, the two soon-to-be superpowers, Portugal and Castile, the predecessor of Spain were busy competing for power. The centuries-long struggle of Reconquista on the Iberian Peninsula was drawing to a close. This peninsula, which at one time was unified under a Muslim caliphate, had long since fractured and been devoured by the Latin Christian kingdoms. The battle would soon be over. Only the kingdom of Granada held out and was besieged by Castile. Portugal, having finished its own Reconquista a decade prior, was already turning its attention to trade, devoting a large percentage of its energy into finding a new land route to India so as to develop a monopoly on the spices, which were kind of like the oil of this time. Domination of the spice trade would shoot any European power to superpower status. The fall of Constantinople in 1453 to the Ottoman Turks closed up the Orient to Christian spice traders, the Portuguese sought to take advantage of this situation and began sending sailors around the tip of Africa to reach India, where the spices rested. In January of 1492, Granada finally fell, and the Reconquista was complete. The Spanish crown, although larger, was at a disadvantage in the Siberian Cold War. They had spent their efforts on defeating the Muslims, while Portugal, under the likes of a prince, Henry the Navigator, and the monarch, Joao II, were investing in an overseas trade armada, 
which was already establishing trade outposts on the islands of the Atlantic and the massive African continent. During the last decade of the Reconquista, an Italian navigator named Christopher Columbus was approaching the kings and queens of the Iberian realms to propose an idea, reaching the Indies, the medieval name for Asia, not just India, via the west rather than take the arduous trek around Africa. King Joao II of Portugal rejected this proposal numerous times because he believed Columbus's math was wrong. Actually, Columbus's math was wrong. He had miscalculated that the earth was about a third to a fourth of its actual size. His goal was to sail a little over 30 days, and according to his math, he would reach Japan or China by sailing due west within that time. Today, it's a common misconception that the apes of medieval Europe believed that the earth was flat, much like apes do today. This, however, is not true. Europeans since antiquity have known that the earth was actually round. The ancient Greek Eratosthenes came close to the correct circumference of the earth in the 3rd century BC. There's no way you can get a spinning heliocentric globe out of anything in the Bible. Are you just skeptical Cars. of everything? I have become skeptical of everything, and I think rightfully so. People believed between the Orient and Europe was a massive, never-ending ocean. So they were actually kind of right on that one. Later in the year, in early August, 1492, Columbus, after reaching an agreement with Castile, set sail on his route to discover a new pathway to the west, to the Indies. He set sail under generous terms. The terms were rather generous because the king of Castile honestly believed Columbus was setting sail on a death mission and would not return. He had three ships under his command, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Their flagship, the Santa Maria, was a large-for-the-day merchant ship, meant to transfer goods, not men. The ship was almost 18 meters in length, or 23 yards, and 5 meters across, and the trip would have been cramped and completely lacking in luxury. The other two ships were meant for fishing and were only 17 and 15 meters long, and again 5 meters across. These ships would carry 89 men for over a month in uncertain conditions to an uncertain land. All three ships were not watertight, meaning on this long, arduous trek, water had to be routinely drained as it leaked onto the ships. Columbus's journey had gone nearly 60 days, almost double the predicted time, and the crew were disgruntled and considering mutiny. The ship was filthy, cramped, and the food had become rotten. Columbus writes in his journal that he routinely lied to the crew about the distance they had covered, so if the men had wanted to turn back, it wouldn't be as long to return as they had thought. Columbus, a native from Genoa, had an imperfect knowledge of Spanish, which put him more at odds with the Spanish sailors. On October 7th, the crew spotted an immense flock of birds, and Columbus changed course to follow their flight. The men had had enough and no longer wanted to sail. Columbus spoke to the men and requested just three more days of sailing, as they had seen some vegetation on the sea, which possibly meant that land was nearby. His gamble had worked, and on October 11th, Columbus thought he saw light. Quote, like a little wax candle rising and falling, end quote. The fleet changed course to due west, and they sailed through the night. Four hours later, land was sighted by a sailor named Rodrigo de Triana aboard the Pinta. Triana immediately alerted the rest of the crew with a shout, and the ship's captain, Martin Alonso Pinzon, verified the land sighting and alerted Columbus by firing a Lombard. 
basically an old cannon. Columbus would later assert that he had been the first to see land, thus earning the promised annual reward of 10,000 maravidi, uh, Iberian gold coins. Wow, they weren't kidding. Columbus is kind of a dick. Columbus named the first landfall of his voyage, San Salvador, on 12th of October, and described the people residing on the islands as naive and naked, but welcoming to the European explorers. Columbus made comparisons of the New World landscape to that of Spain, such as spring-like in Andalusia, rivers like those in Seville, and hills like those behind Cordoba. Columbus called this island San Salvador, in the present-day Bahamas. The indigenous name was... Oh, this is tough. Guanahani. Guanahani. Columbus wrote of the natives he first encountered in his journal entry of 12th of October, 1492. Quote, Many of the men I have seen have scars on their bodies, and when I made signs to them to find out how this happened, they indicated that people from other nearby islands come to San Salvador to capture them. They defend themselves the best they can. I believe that people from the mainland... I believe that people from the mainland come here to take them as slaves. They ought to make good and skilled servants, for they repeat very quickly whatever we say to them. I think they can be very easily made Christians, for they seem to have no religion. If it pleases our Lord, I will take six of them to your highness when I depart, in order that they may learn our language." Quote. Columbus didn't spend much time on San Salvador. His goal was to reach Chipango, or as we know it today, Japan. He continued west, and on October 28th, landed in Cuba, assuming it to be Japan. Still without evidence of great cities or a great civilization, Columbus continued his voyage in search of the fabled city of Zaiton, Guangzhou in China, turning his search southeastward. Here, he lost the opportunity to discover Florida. The winds carried Columbus and his fleet to an island called Haiti, modern-day Haiti, inhabited by the Taino people. Columbus renamed it Isla Española, or Hispaniola, thinking it one of the biblical legendary rich isles from King Solomon's triennial fleet. Or maybe it was the biblical kingdom of Sheba. There, Columbus found at least enough gold and prosperity to save himself from ridicule on his return to Spain. And so he decided it was time to return to the old world, The flagship, Santa Maria, accidentally ran aground on December 25th, 1492, and with the help of an Indian chief named, uh, again, Guajan, Guacanar, Guacanar, G-U-A-C-A-N-A-G-A-R-I, Guacanagari, Columbus converted the Santa Maria into a makeshift fort and left 39 men to guard it. The ill-fated flagship and her makeshift fort would never be heard from again. Columbus returned to the Old World, and with the discovery of the Americas, the age of exploration was underway. And the Spanish, who were fledgling from their time and effort spent on the Reconquista, now had the power to equal Portugal. The Cold War-like situation began to get hot, and war seemed inevitable between the two Iberian nations, who vied for dominance. That is, until the Spanish crown approached the Spanish Pope, seated in Rome to intervene. He drew a line of demarcation on a map, declaring anything west of this meridian line was Spain's, anything east was Portugal's. The Treaty of Tordesillas was widely viewed to favor Spain, and the European monarchs for the most part ignored it. 
It was unknown who got what in the Treaty of Tordesillas, as very little of the New World, including Brazil, had yet to be discovered. 